He says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes, yes, or no, no. Very good. Thank you, guys. Once again, as I said just a little bit ago, uh, today is what's traditionally called Pentecost. Pentecost falls on different times. I think last year it fell in June, but it is, it is always 50 days after uh, Passover has started. 50 days, Pentecost meaning 50th. And so today is the day, and it falls on a Sunday, which is very unique, on the first day of the week. And that's how it was supposed to be. And so it, it, it doesn't necessarily always fall on a Sunday. It falls 50 days after the last the Passover started. So, so Pentecost basically means 50th, as I mentioned. And, and what they were doing is celebrating Sukkot. And Sukkot was the, the time of, in the Old Testament, it was the time of uh, the law, that it was celebrating the, the law. They believed that that's when God had given the law to the people. And, and so that's pretty much the day that God started to talk and share with the people what was going on and, and, and gave us the writings and how it was put aside. But every time after Passover, they would celebrate it. There are times, if you've been following along with us in the Old Testament, as we've been reading through the, the Bible in a year, you'll, you'll see that the kings, uh, they, were, they were not celebrating this, the Passover. And what they ended up doing was finding the book of the law, and they realized, you know, we haven't been doing this according to what Moses had written, and they reinstituted the Passover again. So the people of Israel were very disobedient, uh, somewhat kind of like what the United States, or we have been as well. And I shouldn't just point the finger to you, but us, on disobedient as bad as we have been. And so today is kind of like a, a new beginning in a sense. It's, it's, it's the time that the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles in the upper room. They were all gathered together, and uh, people heard this noise. And in the New Testament, it is now celebrated as, as the beginning of the church, when the Holy Spirit came down and filled every genuine, regenerated believer. And from that point forward, they were empowered to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in their sharing, in their witnessing, their witnessing became so bold that they gave their life. That the word marturas, which means which, where we get our word, uh, 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 we get our word, uh, what's the, martyr, that's the word I'm looking for. I'm trying to say it in Spanish, like somehow my brain got stuck there. But where we get our word martyr is the word that is used as witness. Their witness was so bold that they were willing to be martyrs that they use that word as witness. Today we use that word as something that we've seen, but back then it was something that you did. You literally gave your life to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was the Holy Spirit's empowering and the boldness that they had to be able to proclaim it so that today we have the ability to hear the word of God and what he was doing. And, and it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to, to oversee us and look at us and to help us in our weaknesses. And, and, it, and, it, and it helps us to understand God's word. And, and the Holy Spirit, once you're regenerated, once you're born again, once you are given that the Spirit himself, yeah. he creates this thirst, this desire to, to, to know God. And, yeah. and it's going to take faith at that point. Yeah. Faith at that point comes to you once you're regenerated. Because when you're dead, you have nothing. And you have nothing and you're, you're absolutely dead. So God has to wake you up spiritually and then endow you with the blessing, the, the spirit, the, the, the faith, and everything that you need to come to know God. 
And, and what happens with some, some regenerated believers, they somehow lose something, not their spirit, not their salvation, but they lose their understanding or the connection. They're just fighting against what it is the Holy Spirit is trying to do. And so therefore, we have a lot of shipwrecked lives, as we're going to see here in just a bit. But the power of the Holy Spirit is so important in everyone's life. We spent a lot of time in 1 Corinthians chapters uh, 12 and 13 and 14 talking about the spiritual responsibility and the misuse of, of how people were focusing on the Holy Spirit instead of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus himself said that I'm going to send you a counselor, paracletos. I'm going to send you the paracletos and this paracletos is going to come right alongside you. And his responsibility is to bring glory to me, is what Jesus Christ said. And not to himself. He's supposed to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And the focus is not on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit himself helps us to focus on the life and, and the dying and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And the Holy Spirit convicts us of our ugliness, of our sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us of who we are. And the Bible says that none of us are righteous. No, not one. None of us can stand before God. When we measure ourselves against God, we have this understanding and we have learned how to measure ourselves against each other and that's not the way we're supposed to be measuring ourselves we're supposed to measure ourselves according to God's standard and God's word and so we we blame society we blame everybody else for our woes we blame people for all the things that have been going on in our life instead of looking deep inside and see what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do is he's supposed to, uh, what he does is he convicts us and he first, he saves us and, yes. and he seals us and yes. you know, we're regenerated and he yes. baptizes us into the body of Jesus Christ. And so from that point forward, it is what we have learned that helps us to operate in the spirit. And that's why it's so important. I know a lot of people say this. They say, you know, I don't have to go to church. I don't have to be at, at, at a building. I can worship wherever, which is true, you can. But most times I ask people this one question. Let me ask you, when's the last time you just went out and worshiped? You know, in the, uh, up in the mountains or in a river or something. When's the last time you actually did that? Yeah. Well, uh, you, well, I could. You know, if I wanted to, I could. You're right, you can. But the importance of coming to the gathering of the saints, this place is for the saints, for the gathering of the saints, to be edified, to hear the word of God, to get it into your, into your mind, into your heart, so that it can be solidified, so that every time that you have to make a decision of any sort, that you will have God's word to go back to. Now, that phrase that we used to have a long time ago, WWJD, did not stand for, we want jelly donuts. What it stood for is, what would Jesus do? How would the Word of God impact me? And the more that I get the Word of God into my heart, the more that I get the Word of God into my mind, the more that I get the Word of God into, into my life, the more I can make choices uh, according to God's Word instead of my own choice. And you see, through the Holy Spirit, when He came at Pentecost, in came in and indwelt the believers, and from that point forward, every person now that has been regenerated receives the power of the Holy Spirit to live this life and to, and to walk according to what God's Word is, to be empowered to proclaim the gospel. From that day forward to today, we have that same power. Man. Paul talks about uh, his, his recent conversation with the people in Corinth. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 12. And, and he goes on to tell us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 to 24, 
that he's, he's talking to the people, and as I mentioned last week, he's talking to the people in Corinth that his letter is different. It's not... He's not chastising them. He's not beating them up with the club. He's not telling them, you guys are messing up. You guys are in trouble. You guys are in factions and divisions and immorality. He's coming to them with the heart, a broken heart. He's coming to them with, with this compassion. It's a totally yeah. different tone. And it's hard to understand because everything is kind of written in the language that you have your translation in, whether it's in English or Spanish. And it seems like it's just one complete story, which it is, but it sounds the same tone all the way across. But when you read it in its original language, you'll see the difference in how Paul speaks in this letter as opposed to all the other letters and 1 Corinthians as well. And this is one of, it is known as Paul's heart, the one letter that he really exposes himself and shows himself as to who he is. And one of the things that's been happening here, and we'll, we'll see this in a little bit later, is that the people in Corinth at the church they were calling Paul a liar, a hypocrite. He was a, a false apostle. He was, you know, and he was calling, he was being called all kinds of names because of his, you know, flip flop. And he says, "Well, I can't make it. Maybe next time, you know, something came up." And oh yeah, the guy's just a big phony. And so instead of going on the defense and start telling him, "Well, this is what I'm doing, and this is where I'm going," what he does is he shares his heart with the people in Corinth, and he says this in verse 12. I'm going to stop there in verse 12, and then. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer again, and, and then we're going to continue on with that. But in verse 12, he says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. Father in heaven, I want to thank you once again for giving us this portion of scripture that we can meditate on and to look at and see the heart of Paul. And help us, Lord, to understand what the conscience is and what it's to do and how it is that we are to uh, comport ourselves and move forward in, in, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, help us to, to uh, just dive deeper into this portion of Scripture that sometimes we just read right over. Paul's already expressed to us some of the struggles that he's gone through and how he has been comforted so that he, in turn, can comfort others. He already expressed to us and how he, just, he was at a point of death willing just to give it all up, but you strengthened him to carry on. So, Lord, lead us this morning as we continue in your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone amen. says amen and amen. Now, the, the interesting thing about the conscience is that everybody has a conscience. And a lot of times this conscience has been uh, portrayed as this uh, little devil and this little angel. And, and you're being swayed back and forth by your conscience. And your conscience sometimes tends to lead you in a direction that, well, you know, my conscience feels good about this. I feel good about this. And, you know, if it feels good, then I might as well just do it, you know, because uh, I'm the, I should be following my heart, right? I should follow what's going on in, in, inside of me. This is what I think and this is what I feel. And so, therefore, this must be right. And today's culture is aggressively and, and systematically, it tries to uh, put the blame on everything else. And uh, they try to just put the blame on, on all people. Like, for instance, we're praying about the riots just right now and all the things that have been going on in, in, in our United States and how people are responding. They're responding because they're mad. And they're mad because somebody made them mad. And so, therefore, it's got to be okay because their conscience is, you know, it's clear. And, and unfortunately, we, we, that's what we do. We blame everything and we ignore all the stuff that, that really we should be looking at. And, and, and as you look at this portion of Scripture, Paul says to us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, 
this. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who morbid marriage, uh, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Paul is saying there's people out there with this seared conscience. In other words, it's already been ingrained, it's embedded, it's burnt into their conscience, and this is how they respond to everything. And when you have a seared conscience, you're going to respond according to what has already been imprinted upon your mind. And we can go into all kinds of debates and arguments. Well, is it the way that they were born with the seared conscience? Or was it something that they grew up with? It's that old nature nurture thing. Was it something that they're built with, they're born with, or something that somebody brought them up in? And in all, in all honesty, what happens is that this, all of us, all of us basically were dead. When the Holy Spirit showed up in our life, he opened us up to his word to be able to receive from God what comes from God. And, and what Paul is saying here is that, you know, Tim, I want to tell you something, Timothy, is that these people that are out there, they're not operating under the spirit. They're operating under their own devilish and demonic spirit. And he says to Timothy in verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, he says, this charge I entrust to you. Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Because there is a bad conscience out there, but I want you to wage this war with the good conscience. He goes on to say uh, in the rest of 1 Timothy 1, he says, By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And these were two individuals within the church that were causing all kinds of division. And it's interesting, when we were back in the book of Romans, and we talked about Rufus. Rufus is uh, the, the, the person that supposedly was with the, uh, Simon the Cyrene at the foot of, of the cross, who was forced to pick up the cross of Jesus and carry it to Golgotha. And Simon, he had two sons, and one of them was Rufus, and the other one was Alexander. It is believed that Rufus became a follower of Jesus Christ, and Alexander, well, he tried to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but his conscience was so seared and, and so self-absorbed that he wanted to do his own thing and operate in his own way. As a matter of fact, later on, Paul tells Titus, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Yeah. Nothing. But yeah. both their minds and their consciences yeah. are defiled. Yeah. So not only is the mind defiled and the conscience is defiled, but you know, their whole life becomes defiled because of that conscience. So, so what is the conscience? So some people have said, well, it's the Holy Spirit. Well, I, it's not the Holy Spirit. So it's a demonic spirit. Well, it's not a demonic spirit either because everybody has a conscience, all of us, uh, whether they're regenerated or not. We, we're all able to do good things. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of unregenerated people that I know that won't go around killing people, okay? I know that there's a whole lot of unregenerated people that won't go around breaking windows and looting and burning and all these other things. They just know that that's wrong. And, and so it's not the Holy Spirit. You can't get the Holy Spirit until you're regenerated. But if you look at your outline, the conscience is the soul reflecting on itself. It's the soul reflecting on itself. In other words, it's the soul looking at itself. 
And when you're looking at yourself, it's, it's somewhat in the sense of how some people would say, you know, to, you, you need to know thyself, know who you are. And this is why it's so important to know that you are a child of the king, that once you have become regenerated, you're saved and you're sealed and, and you have been impressed upon by the Holy Spirit and you're God's property now. And you're, you're his own, he owns you. And he also protects you. Because he owns you, he protects you. Therefore, nothing that happens in your life is due to, to any circumstance that's outside of his control. Everything is within his control. So the conscience is the soul reflecting on itself. And both in the Greek and in the English word, it has the idea of knowing yourself. Even in Romans chapter 2, verse 14, in this, and you have this in your outlines, it says, for when Gentiles, that's everybody else, because there's Jews and there's everybody else, for when Gentiles who do not have the law, look at this, by nature do what the law requires, they are law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. And so they're saying, what Paul is saying, you know, they don't have the law. Gentiles don't have the law. They don't have the ability to know what God really wants of them. Yet their conscience tells them to do things like, you know, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't, you know, those, those don'ts, the Ten Commandments. And they have the ability to do that because they have a conscience that every man has. But what happens is that the, the conscience, what it does, it becomes not a searchlight, but it becomes a, a, a light from, what was that word? I, say that again? A skylight. There you go. I was struggling with that word yesterday. What is that thing called? It's a skylight. You know, they put a hole in your ceiling attached to the roof. The sun comes over and it shows how beautiful and how nice and immaculate your house is kept, right? Or maybe not, you know. It shows all the nooks and crannies and dirt and garbage all over the place. That's what the skylight does. That's what the conscience does. But if you are careful to clean your house, when that skylight and the sun comes over, you will see a beautiful house. You see, your conscience is the same way. This is why it's important to get the Word of God in your mind and in your heart. Because you have to be at the highest level of God's Word so that when your conscience comes in and you're made to make a choice, you will make a choice according to God's Word. I'm going to spend a lot of time on this this morning because I believe that God's Word is that important. I believe that God's word is so important that we need to read it. We need to memorize it. We need to go over it. Well, I don't remember what I read. It's okay. Read it again and read it again. There's only 66 books. There aren't that many books. How many books have you read in your lifetime? Okay, well, maybe you'll say maybe one. Okay, how many movies have you seen in your lifetime? How's that? Each movie is about almost an hour and a half to two hours long. I gauge the, the worth of a movie by how long it is. If it's at least two hours long, then it's got to be a good movie. They wouldn't put that much money in a movie that ain't no good. Well, I've been disappointed a couple of times. But the point is, we need to spend time in God's word. Because when the time comes, your conscience is going to say, okay, what are you going to do? And what do we do? We do what the skylight is showing. It's not a searchlight. And so people use the, their conscience as a searchlight. Okay, well, so what does my conscience feel like doing? Okay, that looks good. I'll go there because I felt like going there. I wanted to go there. I desired to go there. Why? Because, well, there's nothing else in a heart, in a conscience, other than what's already there. And so the conscience, since the conscience holds people in the highest perceived standard, we need to set high standards in God's law. 
First Timothy chapter one, verse five, it says the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The whole gospel, the whole everything that God does is based in love. Jesus even said, love God with all that you got. Love your neighbor as you would yourself. The problem is that we have a misconstrued idea of what love is. Our lust is what we call love. Our desires is what we call love. All those things that we want is what we call love. But the love of God is self-sacrificing. We spent a couple of weeks on chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians on the, what true love is. It's self-sacrificing. It sacrifices itself for the betterment of somebody else. That's what unconditional love is. And Paul says this in 1 Peter chapter 3. That, but, and uh, this is in verses 14 through 16. And it says, but even if you should suffer... For righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You see, what your conscience does, and as you're filling up your mind and your heart with God's word, and when somebody asks you for the reason for your faith, why do you have this? You're not going to say, well, because my mom made me or because, you know, it's something I have to. They need me at church. So I go every Sunday to set up, to tear down, to, you know, they need me because I I like to volunteer. I'm a good person. And, you know, folks, a lot of people come to church with that intent to be good people. They're good people. They want to be able to give, and they figure, okay, God, you know, mark that up for me. I've asked people, why are you going to heaven? Well, I've done a lot of good things. I mean, I help the poor. I give money. I, you know, I do this and that. And, and a lot of people are basing their salvation on what they are doing. Amen. But we need to know why we do these things. At salvation, God cleanses our conscience. When we're saved, it's just, it's sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, it says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The Bible talks a lot about our conscience. The Bible talks a lot about how it's been sprinkled and how he goes on to say later on in chapter 10 of Hebrews, the same thing. Let us draw near with true hearts in full assurance of faith and with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And this is the, and and then the writer goes on to say, let us proclaim, let us go boldly and let us continue on and and let us not consider, let's consider how we can stir one another on, not for selfish motives, but for genuine, regenerating, repentive motives. And the conscience is the one thing that moves us. We must guard the purity of our cleansed conscience, winning the battle for holiness on the inside where the conscience works. We have to keep a, a clear conscience in what we see, what we say, and what we do. Man. So Paul says in Acts 24, he says, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. He says, I do everything I can. And, and Paul is making this statement at the very beginning because he says, You know, I know who I am. I mean, people know who I am. There's people yeah. out there that are slandering me. They're saying all kinds of bad things about me, but, but I know I have confidence before God. 
And since I have confidence before God, I can come before him. And I know that uh, I'm going to be defended. And it's not by what I say. And a lot of times people are always, I am a good person. You should see all the good things I do. And they're arguing for all the things that they say they do. And when we're trying to talk to them and help them, they say, you don't know. You don't understand. You don't, you don't know what I've been doing. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what kind of good things I've done, how much money I give away. You, you don't know. And people make this big stand on trying to protect their integrity. You see, when I have a good conscience, and I have a good conscience before God, number one, I can focus on the return of Jesus Christ. That's in your outlines. I can focus on the return of Jesus Christ. Paul says this in verse 14. Just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. The day of the Lord Jesus Christ is not capital D, the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at that, it's the day when Jesus returns and takes us up. We'll be able to, because there's the day. That day is the day of judgment. That day is the day of, uh, you know, we're going to get all those that are unrighteous and God's going to judge the world. What Paul is talking about is the day that we need him. And he says, you know, just as you partially understood that on that day, you will boast of us. You will say, you know, Paul is the one that led us. Paul is the one that led by example. Paul, and I'm going to do the same thing about you guys. And you're going to meet Jesus Christ. It's not like he doesn't know. It's not like God doesn't know what's going on. But what Paul is saying, on that day, yeah. we're going to be able to stand firm. On that day, yeah. you'll see everything. On that day, yeah. when Jesus Christ returns, he will show you and you will know and you will see of all the good things and all the things that people were talking about me were just false. So I don't have to go to court. I don't have to file a lawsuit. I don't have to uh, sue somebody for defamation of character. There's those things I don't have to do because I have a clear conscience. Number two, I can remain resolute. I can remain resolute because I was sure of this, Paul says. I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Those that were against Paul were saying, you see, he said he was coming and now he's not coming. You see, I told you he's a flake. He's just waffling back and forth. He just says one thing and he does another thing. And Paul was saying, you know, I want you guys to know that I really am trying to make it there. And it's kind of like sometimes as a pastor, I, I get an idea. I pray about it. I look forward and I say, okay, Lord, is this what you want us to do? And sometimes I, I, I've, got to under, I've got to really be honest with you. There's times that, that I'll make a decision or I'll make a thought and, and, and I, it was a wrong thought. And I say, I'm sorry. I messed up. You know, we, we shouldn't have done that. Right now I can't remember. Of, uh, I mean, I've done a lot. I mean, there's so many I, got, I can't even remember. No, but... Basically, what I've done in, in, in the recent past is I get people like Ken and Sal and, you know, Sal's my son, you know, and I, and I appreciate my, my son, and, but he's honest, okay? When it comes to the church, he's honest, and, and that's good. Uh, I've got other people involved as well that we sit down and say, look, this is what I, I, I believe we should do. And, and so it's a matter of just discussing it, the pros and the cons, things that I, sometimes I don't Amen. see. And uh, just recently, we were talking... I won't share the whole details, but we were talking about doing something, and I says, well, I think this is what we should do. And, um, and after hearing a lot of the debate and stuff, I said, well, you know what? Maybe that's not the best option. And so we didn't go forward with that. But there are, there are, th there are times, men and women, that we need somebody around us that are continually looking to what God's Word says 
And Paul says, you know, I really wanted to go. I did. I had plans. Something came up. You know, I wanted to be there to add a second blessing, a second grace to you. Not more salvation, not a second blessing in a grace type of way that, that you've already received. What Paul was saying is, you know, I wanted to give you another gift. Garis, I wanted to give you another gift, another just of our presence to be able not to yell at you. I don't want to come with a strong word. I want to come with a humble heart. I want to come and just to encourage you and to love you. I've already sent you three letters. I've already, you know, been, been yelled at you. You already know my heart. Let's just fellowship together, Paul says. I wanted to be there. And then since he didn't make it, people said, you see, he's, he's flip-flopping. Verses 17 and 18. Number three, I can maintain my reputation. When I have a clear conscience, I can maintain my reputation. I don't have to fight for my reputation. I don't have to try to make it work. He says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, or no, no? And there's a lot of people that respond that way. Hey, would you do that? No, no. Yeah, I can't do it. And then it seems like after some time, they, oh, you know what? I shouldn't have said no. I'm going to go ahead and do it. And that sometimes, folks, what that does is it doesn't build a lot of confidence in people about you or about me. It doesn't build a lot of confidence in what we say and do. We, we shouldn't just automatically say yes or no. We should, you know, let me pray about that. Now, there's some things. There's some things that you just know instinctively that you can do. And when you're asked, you should just go ahead and do it. And, and there's some things that you know that you shouldn't do. <laughs> no, I will not do that. I'm sorry. And, and, and there's some things that happen in life that you can see. Your conscience that is being, the, the, the light is being shined on by the Holy Spirit. And, and you're seeing and you're operating according to what you know God's word to be. And this is why when a decision is being made, yeah. You'll, know, you'll know exactly what you have to do. Your conscience will know how to respond because you know what God's word says. Well, the word of God says this, and the word of God says that. So maybe I shouldn't do that. I'm asked all the time. And when I'm asked about some sort of, uh, I always go to the scripture. I always go to the word of God. Here's, okay. well, here's, here's what the word of God says. Okay. Okay. You know, this is what the word of God says. And so the, he was being accused of vacillating. He was being accused of, you know, just jumping out. You know, he just says yes, and he's going to do it. He doesn't do it. That's what he's being accused of. But when you have a clear conscience, when your conscience is not seared by the world or by the enemy, when your conscience is being guided by the Holy Spirit, you can say with confidence and your reputation will be preserved. Number four, I will be reliable and consistent. I will be reliable and consistent. Paul says in verses 19 and 20, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. What Silvanus, Timothy, Paul all of them, they had the same mindset, they were on the same mission, they had the same task, they had the same boldness to be able to go forward and proclaim the gospel. Would you come and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to our church? I'll be there. I don't need to pray about that. I'll be there. I'll rearrange my schedule to be there. I'll do whatever it takes to proclaim the gospel at, at that point in that place and time. I want you to know something, and maybe some of you probably already know this. But I, I do a lot of officiating in weddings and in funerals. And it's unfortunate. I really don't feel comfortable doing weddings. I don't. I do them because that's part of my officiating. I do baptizing. I do, uh, of course, the uh, quinceañeras. But 
where I find myself in my element is at funerals. And for ever since the very beginning, I fumbled through my first five weddings. I fumbled through my first couple of baptisms. You know, almost drowned a couple of guys. I, 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 you know, but the first funeral I had, I go, oh, I'm going to mess this up. For some reason, it was at that point that I, I was able to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people were, people were at a point where, you know, you're right. Because they are facing their own mortality in the body that they are observing. So from that point forward, I've always said, you know, to the family, I'd like to, you know, uh, present the gospel if that's okay with you. Oh, yeah. Nobody's ever said no. And I've always wondered what I would do. And I think what I would do if they say, no, no, we don't want that done. All right. Well, you're going to have to find somebody else. You'll just have to find somebody else. And most people that I do a funeral for or a wedding or whatever are, are very generous when they give a, a love offering. Yeah. And so there is that idea, you know, if, if I just eh, maybe just hold back a little bit, not be so forceful, not be so strong. You know, I don't want to offend anybody. Maybe they'll, you know, love me a little bit more. <laughs> you know, I like, I like being loved. Amen. But, but, you know, at, at that point, I, you know, at, then I'm not doing it for the right reason. Amen. And there's sometimes people really love me and sometimes they, people don't. You know, yeah. it's, it's okay. Yeah. But, but I, I come home happy that I was able to share the gospel of yeah. Jesus Christ. And, and that's what Paul is saying. Look, we were sharing the gospel. We're being beat up. He just talked to us about how they were uh, close to the point of death. He just talked to us about how everything has been going against them because they are proclaiming the word of God, not because they are, can't find a parking space, not because of COVID-19, not because they lost their jobs, not because of people hate them. They were being put to death, literally, because they were proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, I can be reliable and I can be consistent when I know that I have a good conscience before God. And, and, and I'm not just going to say yes and no. People know when I say my yes, it's going to be yes. And people know when I say no, it's going to be no. I don't have to make any excuses, any apologies for whatever reason. Paul is saying our yes is going to be yes and our no is going to be no. Number five, I am reassured by the Holy Spirit. This is, this is key. Paul says, and in verses 21 and 22, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You see, it's God. He says, first of all, I'm established. I'm put down. I am given that salvation. You see, when you become a new believer, when you become one in Christ, you are a new creation, as 2 Timothy 5.17 will tell us later. Therefore, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're a new creation. You are now established in Christ. And there is nothing that anybody can do to take that away from you. That no one, nowhere, no how, no height, no depth, no width, angels, demons, death, nothing. And you are his because he has sealed you. He has anointed you. He has given us the spirit of his guarantee. When a, when a non-believer, when an unregenerated person is brought to life. And, you know, here's the, here's the interesting thing. In many churches, there are regenerated and unregenerated. And sometimes Jesus says the wheat and the tares, they, they look almost alike. They, they even act alike. They blow with the same wind. They fall in, with the same uh, water and, and rains. And they shake as people walk by. And, and it's, it's identical almost, and you can't, it's hard to tell the difference. 
And he tells this parable of this man that planted his wheat and his enemy came by and planted tares. And they look identical, so everything was damaged. And, and the, the workers say, so should we just go ahead and harvest, harvest the tares, throw them away? He says, no, no, we'll wait till the end. We'll be able to sift it out at the end. At the end, we will know what is genuine and what is not. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 7, Jesus says, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that come up to me and say, Lord, Lord. He's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And they're going to say to me, what, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we heal people? Didn't we do all the church things? Didn't we do all the things that everybody else is doing? He says, you know what? I, I, I don't know who you are. He says, I do not know you. It's interesting. It's, it's important to know that once you are brought to life, God places his spirit in your heart, just like he did for Adam. Brought him to life. He was just a piece of mud. We are mud, people. We are dirt in the hands of God. We are dirt without God. We are so sinful and so bad and so terrible that God had to give us life. Only he can give it to us. I couldn't do that. I couldn't bring myself up out of the grave. I cannot do any of that stuff except for God. And he blew in the nostrils of the man and gave him life. And now after the fall, we now are spiritually dead. When God regenerates you, he places his spirit within your heart. And now you are established in him. You are in him. And nothing in this whole universe can separate you from the love of God. But it only happens to those that are regenerated. There's a lot of people that pretend to be or want to be, or, but they don't want to do what has to happen. Well, everybody is searching for God. No, everybody is searching for what God offers. Everybody is searching for peace. Everybody is searching for the relief of guilt. Everybody is searching for the relief of shame. Everybody is searching for that love. I just want that stuff. Don't give me this Bible stuff. Just give me that stuff, Jesus. And I'm going to find me a church that can give me that stuff. Because I don't want this stuff. This stuff is just too hard. Just give me this stuff. Come to me. I'll, I'll minister to your felt needs. I will give you what you want. I will tell you the, the beautiful things that this world can give you. Folks, that's not a regenerated heart. A regenerated heart is willing to, first and foremost, understand that we are wicked. We need to know that we are sinful people. We need to realize how terrible we are. No one, the Bible says, no one seeks after God. There is a gospel out there that says, oh, there's a lot of people seeking God. And we want to help them. We want to make it comfortable for them. We want to make sure that, you know, we don't offend. We don't want to make sure that we don't talk to them about hell. We want to make sure that we don't talk to them about their sin. Because, therefore, people won't show up. And they won't give us their monies. And, you know, but that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul had said, that's a different gospel, which is not even a gospel at all. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, folks, I, I've been sharing with this, this with you for some time now. The, the last few months uh, after chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, when I read that uh, the gospel that we proclaim to you, Paul says in verse 1, and I looked at the gospel. What is it? Well, Jesus Christ died and buried and resurrected. Well, there's got to be more to it than just that. And I know that he died for our sins because I was a sinner. I know that. I, I know that he resurrected because that's what the, the, the prophecy state. I, I know that the, the Bible that talked about his resurrection and he ascended into heaven. We know, and we know he's coming back. I know those things. But the more that I dive into the gospel of Jesus Christ, folks, I want you to know something. It, it just brings me closer to the feet of Jesus just to say, thank you. Because I am a wretched sinner. I am so lost without you. 
that you had seen it upon yourself to give me your grace, as we talked about last week. And, and for that, I am forever grateful. Why would I want to go back? Why would I want to go back to something else? And Paul says, I'm assured. My conscience is assured me because I am established in Jesus Christ. He's anointed me, he says. Uh, believers are anointed. Anointed, the anoint is someone to, to anoint someone is to commission them, is to, for service. Uh, Jesus Christ, Krigo is the word that anointed appears four times, and every time that it appears in the New Testament, it's related to Jesus Christ. Krio, he's been anointed, he's been appointed, he's been sent out, he's been given this responsibility, and he's commissioned for service. Uh, Krisma, the word, uh, the anointing of the believers, is when they receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, when Christ gives them the Holy Spirit, or when the Holy Spirit is given to them, and they are, they are krismad into or brought into the, the headship of Jesus Christ, who guides us and empowers us and teaches us and, in, and shows us his word and shines that light upon his word that is in our hearts. And it only comes from God. And that, this is not an anointing that you get every once in a while and a dose here and a dose there and, and a little bit of there. And, you know, depending on who's around and what's going on, it's not considered according to your circumstances, but it is who you are. You are set aside. You're anointed. You have been given the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has baptized you into Jesus Christ. Amen. We've talked a lot about that in the past. We'll talk some more about that later. But Paul says, look, you're, you're covered. You're covered. Not only are you covered, not only are you standing up and established, you're covered, but you're sealed. The Holy Spirit has sealed you. A sealing shows possession. Your property, you're sealed with the mark of the Holy Spirit from the Most High. And in sealing times, they would take these envelopes or these documents, and depending on how important that document was, they would put two, three, four, up to seven seals, like we read in the book of Revelation. Seven seals were given. And that meant that that document was highly important. Seven people that signed their seal. And not only does it show that you're somebody's property or somebody's uh, person, but that seal also shows protection. You better not open it because that belongs to me. You're protected and you're, prop you're God's property. And you are sealed. And God says, and Paul says that you're sealed. The stamping, the identification mark. And that identification mark needs to be visible, folks. People need to know that you're sealed. People need to know that you have something different about you. Some people need to know that there is a marking, a sealing on you because of who God is. And the last thing he says, God gave believers the spirit in his heart as a pledge. It's a promise. He says, I've, I've given you this. There, there is no reason why you shouldn't have a clear conscience and operate within that conscience and love and respond within that conscience. And the last thing I want to share with you is number six, I will remain responsive. The word that I was going to use there was sensitive. And I didn't want it to seem so, uh, it, it, it being sensitive, being sensitive to the people around me, being sensitive to the people that are around us. He's, well, let me read the verse in 23 and 24. But I called God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. Paul's plans were changed, and they were changed for various reasons. But ultimately, Paul says, you know, I didn't want to come yelling at you guys again. You know, I, I wanted to sympathize with you guys. I've already yelled at you guys enough. And, and so I didn't want to, I wanted to spare you from that 
anger that, or that, oh, I can't believe you guys are still doing this. I can't believe that this is still happening. I mean, how many times have you done that to somebody? How many times have you been able to, uh, that has happened? Something happened there? Oh, (laughs) okay. Okay, church is over. It's my grandkids. I'm finishing up. (laughs) How many times have you told your grandkids, don't do that? Oh, come on. Don't do. How many times have you done that? Right on time, right? How many times have people told you that? How many times you got to do that? You know, I mean, it's if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, right? Well, you know, it's time to get over that. And Paul says, you know, I, I've yelled at you guys. I, I just, I wanted to spare you. As God is my witness, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over you. Paul wasn't saying, you know, just because I'm an apostle, just because I'm a pastor, doesn't mean I got to tell you what to do. I want to share with you what your conscience can do when it's under the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to share with you what your conscience has been doing to you when it's not under the control of the Holy Spirit. I want to share with you on how to bring your conscience under the power of the Holy Spirit by using God's word. Excuse me, not using, but taking God's word and eating of it. And see how sweet and tasty it is by meditating upon it, by involving yourself in it, by reading it and meditating and studying it and sharing it. This is the reason why we gather. This is why church is essential. You know, if any of the people that are out there rioting right now were seeped in God's word, they might be dignified. They might be dignitally uh, angry. And there's a dignification in being angry. You can be ang- a digni- dig- dignified. Justified, dignified anger. They call it a justice, righteous anger. God has that same anger. You can. But when it's just a free-for-all, you know, and especially when you're caught up in the mob, okay. you've been there. You've been at a football game, a baseball game. Everybody's okay. yelling and clapping their hands, yeah. you know. And I'm kind of hoping that I'm not going to mention any names, but I'm, his initials are CC. Oh, well, that is his name. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of hoping that kind of gets a little contagious around here and people start screaming and yelling, hey, praise the Lord and clap your hands because it should be exciting. Man. Man. And, and when you're involved in that, and, and just because you're in that situation, in that culture, the government, whatever it is, does not necessarily mean you have to act on that because your conscience, when it's not seared with the world, but stamped and approved and anointed by the Holy Spirit, will cause you to stand out in the midst of all that mayhem. And I'm praying right now. We're, we, we need to continue to pray for those people, those that are called of God, to make that change within this mob. That's the prayer that we need to do. They need to stand out and stand above. And I can guarantee you right now, there are a bunch of people in that group that are called themselves Christians. I'm not going to church today, Pastor, because I got something to do. I got a higher calling. And folks, there's nothing wrong with being indignant. That's the word I was looking for. There's 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 not a problem being indignantly mad. There really isn't. You should be. There should be some things that get you mad. Sin ought to get you mad. People that are killing their babies ought to upset you. Things that are happening around the world should get you mad. And you should be indignant about some of the injustice that's going on. It doesn't mean I get up and start beating people with the baseball bat. I start praying against that. Lord, you come quickly. Maranatha.
or we say Maranatha. But Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. I'd like to see a church with a conscience that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, that gives us the ability to, to remain responsive or sensitive to the people around us, that gives us the ability to be reassured by the Holy Spirit that all things are going to be working out together for good, to, to give us the ability to be reliable and consistent and to maintain our reputation as a church, as a people, as Christians, and to, to, res, to be resolute about what, am I, what I'm doing because Jesus Christ's return is very soon. And we need to be ready for that, church. Let me ask you to stand. Take these things to heart, God's word. And as we carry on and continue on in chapter in uh, 2 Corinthians, remember that Paul is speaking to us from his heart. Amen. He's given us some insight that none of the other epistles gives us. Amen. And so I, I pray that you stay with us as we continue on. There are a lot of people that are, now that their churches are being opened and, and they're heading back to their own churches and people that have been watching us on Facebook and, and some of you that, that have attended in the past, and, and I, I just pray that you plug yourself into a church that is Bible-based. And there are a lot of churches out there that will give you stuff that you really want to hear. But I want, I want to ask you, is that what you really need to hear? And so ask the Lord to, to lead you. And, of course, our church is always open, and we want to reopen Amen. next Sunday. Next Amen. Sunday with, with a, a good, for now, it'll have to be 25%, 25% okay. of what we have, and uh, total it probably about 50 people. You know, we're not a huge, right. we're not a huge building. Uh, and I really, I really feel for those pastors that have two, 3,000 members of, of a church. So the maximum they can have is 100 people. So let's continue to pray for uh, our leaders. Let's continue to pray for the obedience of what uh, the, the groups have been telling us. And, and let's continue to pray for our situation in our nation. And, of course, don't forget our loved ones within our church. So, Father, we, we do come before you again. We, th we thank you, Lord, that um, you've given us your, your Holy Spirit to help us with our conscience in whatever we do. And our conscience, Father, is, is based upon who, what we take in and what's already inside, that skylight that is shining the light into our hearts. And, and, Father, sometimes we look in there and it's, it's ugly and it's decrepit. It's, it's, it's those things that just do not please you and please the holy God. Many people say, well, I'm a work in progress. Well, Father, I know that we've, we're far beyond that now. We are your children. We've been sealed. And so, therefore, the Holy Spirit within us can show us all those uh, crevices and ugliness and those rooms that are dark and full of cobwebs. And I pray that as your skylight just shines upon us, Lord, that it, it, it just helps us, Lord, to, to see our conscience in such a way Amen. that we can rid ourselves of that. Amen. Help us to make decisions based upon your word by taking your word and applying your word and studying your word and meditating upon your word and, uh, and re repeating your word, Lord. So we thank you, Lord. So, Father, once again... Thank you for this time that you've given us as we continue on in the celebration of music to bring to you to a joyful heart for what you've done for us. And uh, as you receive our offering, Father, I pray that you continue to bless it and uh, use it for your kingdom. And we thank you, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen and amen. amen. And when you get a chance, if you're on Facebook, please like us and uh, tell us that you're watching. And if you'd like to give, uh, we do have what's called the Tithely app that you can give online if you like or mail something in. Uh, if you're compelled to give, we just we would truly appreciate it. And just so you know, we have had a few people that have uh, 
well, we have, we've had a very good response. And I want to thank you for those of you that have responded and have given in such an awesome way. All right. We're going to ask you to stand again. We're going to go to the Lord in music.